This is the Millennial Millionaire Through Real Estate Podcast. People think it's just face, client-facing sessions, right? But really, working in the business, which is client-facing sessions, it's really like 10% of your time. You know what occupies 90% of time is working on the business. You're listening to the Millennial Millionaire Through Real Estate Podcast, where we discuss tangible tips, tricks, and best practices for becoming financially free. The show is designed for people who want to either start real estate investing or for those who want to scale their real estate business. What's going on, everyone? This is Jonathan Farber, your host of the Millennial Millionaire Through Real Estate Podcast. I hope you're all well and healthy. For any first-time listeners, thanks for being here. The goal of this show is to explore ways to become financially free through real estate or to increase passive cash flow through real estate. A little background on myself, I work in corporate America at a software company and my side hustle is real estate. I currently own eight rental units and looking to add more this spring. I have house hacked, bird, flipped, and done short-term rentals to name a few strategies. My current focus is 20 to 30 unit apartment buildings in Ohio and Kentucky. I love to network and learn. So if you'd like to connect further, feel free to find me on LinkedIn, Facebook, or BiggerPockets. All right, guys, today we have an awesome guest with Christine Tay. She is based out of Las Vegas and she is a financial and personal business coach. She took the leap from her corporate finance job last year to now go into corporate coaching and personal business coaching. Um, working with people on understanding their personal budgets, best practices, best practices for planning, and how they can also organize their business to save money and make more money. So the really fun part of today's episode was getting to ask a lot of tangible questions that I've had as a quote-unquote side hustle investor or solopreneur in addition to having a W-2 job and how she recommended setting up some of the finances as if I was going to be one of her clients starting today. And it was really interesting because some of it wasn't what I expected and some of it was uh, a little like I expected, but just a little tweaked. So we talked about some of the tools she recommends, uh, the process, when she thinks people should try to leave their jobs, if they aspire to do that, when they should stay at their jobs, if they don't want to just go into a full entrepreneur mode and how she just looks at finances in general. So it was a pretty interesting, broad ranging conversation, not uh, really a typical episode that we do, but something that I'd say worked for a lot of the investors that listen to the show and have questions about their personal finances and how they should set their accounts up. Today's tangible tip is smart home technology. Uh, I got introduced to smart home technology initially through the world of Airbnb and short-term rentals where everything is pretty much set up with, well, the best hosts uh, tend to set up their properties with smart homes and smart home technology such as lights and air conditioners and front doors and things like that and sound monitoring just to make sure that when they're not there they can control every part of the property without being there and it's pretty cool when you can have everything on your phone and monitor who's coming in and out of the property what the temperature is set at if people are leaving the lights on Um, it's borderline creepy if you're doing it for other people, but at the same time, you're not watching anyone. You're not doing anything illegal. You're just making sure that the property is set up the best way possible. Um, But this has also bled over into my personal life where now it seems hard to imagine living in a apartment or a house without having at least like a nest or smart lights or a smart lock on the front door where it just becomes kind of what you're used to. So I highly recommend these. 
Um, I can make some specific recommendations uh, if anyone had questions, but some of the typical products I've used are Echobee for thermostats or Nest. They're both good. I use them pretty much equally. We'll link all of it. I don't remember the exact brand name, but just it's such an easy thing like you take for granted if you don't have to worry about shutting lights on or off or getting out of bed when you want to shut off all the lights in your house and you can just do it from your phone. But um, it makes a big difference convenience wise. And then if you're doing it in investment properties, it's really easy to do. So that's today's tangible tip. Without any further ado, really, really informative um, educational episode today with Christine Tay. All right, Christine, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for being here. Yeah, thank you for inviting me, John. I really appreciate it. Yes, I'm excited to get into your story for a lot of reasons, um, mainly because I think your messaging is going to resonate with a lot of our listeners who are trying to figure out how to organize their finances either in their regular life of w2 and just personal or if they are an investor as well and as i think about with most guests and recap how we first got connected or exposed to your your name or your story was through yona weiss's podcast and um you generously put out um free calls where people can schedule time with you to learn more about your services and what you do and how you can help them um we were talking about this a little bit before we jumped on i uh, scheduled a couple of those calls and we had a little mishap, but I will get back on with you and I'm excited to dig into that today. So anyway, before uh, we get into any of the tactics and the strategy and what you're doing, um, you mind just sharing with us a little bit about your background, how you got into all this and where you're at today? Yeah, so I immigrated to the United States uh, in year 2000 and then, you know, um, I went to college at age 20 because I was born and raised in the Philippines. We don't have two years of middle school. So, you know, I was age 20. I didn't know what to major in. And at that time, my aunt told me, why don't you just major in computer science? Because, you know, yeah, you got to make a lot of money in computer science, right? Well, I had no regrets. That actually got me a good career, good paying job and everything. But you know, like I, 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 I've been working corporate since 2000 when I immigrated here to the U.S. And, and you know, I've been switching jobs, changing different careers. And it just like, there was just no level of satisfaction. You know how you go to work and then you're like, and you keep hearing people at the elevator, you know, going saying, oh, how was your weekend? Ah, oh, it's okay. I just relax and getting ready for the weekday. I can't wait for Friday. And I, sadly, I was kind of feeling the same way too. But then it's just sad to hear more people say that. So I think as I, you know, as I, you know, grow and then like, and I realized, you know, I didn't want to live the rest of my life like this. So I think finally in 2016, um, you know, I had my first real heartbreak that pushed me, you know, that usually is the catalyst for you to push into a more spiritual growth. So I hired a spiritual life coach and then she worked with me and then I realized, um, you know, she was working, my passion has been with personal finance. So then, then she said, you know, why don't you do financial coaching and stuff like that? And I said, who will pay me for budgeting and coaching and stuff like that? So, so she said, yeah, you'll be surprised. There's a lot of people who need that help in the United States because my friends are mostly very good with money. So then I decided to just um, offer for free to my friends. And then, you know, um, that was September 2016. And then so I, um, yeah, I decided I really liked it. I fell in love with it. And then I started um, charging money for it. And then I was actually really surprised that there's a lot of people who need that help. So, so that's when I started getting my um, clients, September 20, my first paying client, September 2016. I had a full-time job. And for anyone who wants to get started on any business, I highly advise you do not quit your full-time job, no matter how much you hate it. Trust me, I really hated my job, my boss and everything. And I was, but I was so glad I stick to it because then I don't have to worry about the money. 
that I can just focus on like taking my time to build that business. So I was doing it nights and weekends. And then, so I did for two years. Actually, I could have quit earlier, but I was really taking my time. So two after two and a half years, last year in May, I finally quit my job and you know, there's no turning back. I really love what I do. I love being a full-time entrepreneur. Now, I was telling Jonathan that I just moved to Nevada from California. You're from a very expensive Bay Area to a low cost of living in, here in Las Vegas, Nevada. And I'm going to cut my cost of living into half because I literally can't work anywhere in the world pretty much. But I wanted somewhere closer to California. So I moved here in Nevada. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that's awesome. And that's something that... Well, you touched on a lot there that I think a lot of people can relate to or think about on a regular basis is how to make the exit from a job that they don't like. And you touched on something there saying you recommend staying in the job and building up the side hustle business. Mm-hmm. So for you, did you have like a date in mind that you wanted to be out by? Or did you hit a certain point where you just felt like I've hit a number that I needed to get to, or I just got to enough to feel comfortable? How did you think about it? And what advice do you have for other people on when they should take the step off the curb. Yeah, so um, so what I did after I started my financial coaching business, I thought that I could work full-time and still continue full-time because I wasn't ready to give up my you know six-figure salary, the benefits and everything. I was working for a really good company, like huge company, Visa. There, even the pandemic, you know, people are still you know charging on their credit card, right? So it's a very stable company, stable job. So, so yeah, I wasn't quite ready. So what I did, I switched career from a data analyst, a data analytics to corporate finance. So it was some, some, it was a finance field, but it's corporate finance, which is totally different from personal finance. So I decided, you know what, maybe I'll do that. And maybe I can do this. But I, the first year was really awesome. I had a great boss. I was learning new things, but then my boss who hired me left the company and I was literally, um, there was reorg. I was literally pushed to like three different managers after that. And that's what triggered me to like, my God, I don't want to be at the mercy of corporate. And then like when they have layoff, they have reorgs and all of that. So I just got tired. And one day I was like, um, no, maybe I, I'm going to quit. So it wasn't really about the money thing. It was more like, you know, the, the real deep reason I don't like corporate just pop up you know, more and more. I just, I just never fit into the corporate world. So, so when I did look at my finances, no, I wasn't making enough. So I was really worried. I was like, can I make this? So I talked to several, um, actually Facebook is a really great support place. Like I joined a couple of uh, business, uh, you know, entrepreneurial Facebook groups. So I asked for advice. I was actually, people were supportive. Like um, I've talked to some business coaches and then they helped me, you know what, you need to change your pricing. Cause I was doing a pay per session, which, you know, um, is, I'm not for service people. Um, you can't really survive on pay per session because you will need like what, 20, 30, clients a month so now I'm only mainly selling packages and the one session is going to be more pricier but there are people who just pay one session but for the most part it's going to be by packages so with the packages well before I need like four or five clients now in Nevada I probably need only two new clients every month so that's very very doable so I mean like and then if you come from a place of abundance like there's like so many people you know if you add that up like Two clients a month times 12, that's like 24 clients a year. And then like to the day I'm going to retire, whatever. That's not a lot. I mean, if you look at the population, even like in one city, I mean, there's 
plenty, plenty of people, right? So, so yeah, I think I, when I changed my mind, mindset and then I, I'm a spiritual person, I believe in law of attraction. So, you know, I believe in the universe got my back. So I really just changed my mindset. And then that's what I teach my clients to like how to attract wealth, how to attract richness. So, so it was, I was really surprised. May was my first month to be on my own. And then I have been profitable since month one. And the only time I was not profitable was July of last year, but it was summer. And I've talked to other coaches too. They say summer usually, well, that was before COVID, right? People are on vacation, they have kids, so they're not really thinking of doing coaching, right? So, so, but yeah, that was the only month I've been unprofitable. And all the months after have been profitable. What I mean by profitable is that it pays enough for my business expenses and personal expenses. And then mm-hmm. it, it's extra after that. So business expense like taxes and whatever cost, but being a service business, like I don't actually have a lot of overhead for my business. You know, it's, it's very few overhead because I don't have an office. So my personal expenses is the one that has a lot more, but now Nevada is a lot less now. Yeah. <laughs> Got it. Okay. Awesome. So one thing I want to dig into further in your story before we go into anything tactical or micro is um, when you were leaving your job, was there anything that surprised you after that you look back on, or you, you had a, a pre- preconceived notion of, this is what my life is going to be like, or this is how I think this is going to be. And then anything that surprised you after the fact, good or bad, but maybe just advice that you would have kind of told yourself back to right before you were going to leave your job. Um, yeah, I think if I could, the only thing I, I would have changed turning back time while I was working full time and doing this part time is that I, if I really wanted to quit earlier on, I would have taken it more seriously, meaning like, market more, shop on LinkedIn more. I'm on LinkedIn almost daily. Well, not lately because I've been moving and it's been crazy. But but yeah, so show up more on, on social media, just be out there marketing more. So so I would I, I was I was really taking it easy. I wasn't doing it that you know that seriously. But then like I have no regrets. Even after uh, I quit, you know, things just picked up and then like yeah, so so it, it really depends. I mean there's really I mean it, it turned out the way it is. I mean you know, I love how everything turned out. And the only surprise I think was, um, I guess you could say pleasant or unpleasant. But but when I was working full-time, I felt I had more time. You know, I was working full-time. I had this business. And I had a lot more time doing my hobbies. Now I feel uh, since I quit, like I've been working a lot more. But then it doesn't feel like work. Like it's like literally even at midnight, I'll be replying to a client. You know, so before I work, it was a little nine to five. I'm like, I don't, I'm not going to care about this after 5 p.m. Like, so that was my attitude before because I didn't really enjoy my work that much. So not, yeah, actually I did work a lot more and I haven't had much time for my hobby. So now I want to change that now that I'm, you know, I passed my one year, I'm in Nevada. So I'm blocking Saturday and Sunday for me to do other stuff because before I was working every day, my office hours like sessions every day. Yeah, literally, even was working on a Sunday. So I, I first blocked Sunday. Now I'm gonna block Saturday and Sunday because, like, I think it's time for me to get back into having hobbies again. Yeah. Do you think you could have been successful though, uh, like with hard boundaries and trying to keep only certain times you're working, or like, do you think, or do you think that's what you had to do at the beginning to ensure one of successful, but also that you felt good about doing it and that you you knew you wouldn't have any, let's say, regrets or challenges getting off the ground? Yeah, so I, for me, it was important that I was very flexible with my time because most of my clients are W2 employees. 
So they can only see me mainly after work and on the weekend. Mm. So I really have to open my weekend. So actually, I might, you know, I might just do maybe a couple hours Saturday morning, but that's it, you know, for those who just cannot do weekdays. Because some people, they have kids and everything. It's just crazy for them with COVID. They're just going crazy with the kids with them going for seven, right? So sometimes like only weekends can work for them. So, so yeah, I have to, I have to be really flexible because I was trying to build my business. I can be very, you know, strict. Okay, this is the only time I need to work. Sometimes if clients need to see me at eight o'clock, then I'll have to be open to that. And, you know, because I'm still building and trying to make money and stuff. Yeah. But then I, I do feel I'm pretty efficient with my time. So let's say, you know, people do sessions in the morning or at nighttime, then I can just do other stuff during the day because, okay, so this is another thing important about having, being an entrepreneur. People think it's just face, client-facing sessions, right? But really, working in the business, which is client-facing sessions, it's really like 10% of your time. You know what occupies 90% of the time? is working on the business. You know what that is? Marketing, selling, customer service, building your website, blah, blah. Unless you can pay. I mean, if you're new, unless you have a lot of startup money, you, you're going to end up doing it yourself, okay? So, and then... You, there's a certain pride to that and then satisfaction with doing yourself. So I built my own website. I built everything organic, you know, LinkedIn, social media, everything I did on my own. And then I have no regrets. I love learning that. So 90% is all on that. So I spent a lot of time on that. So now my next goal is that I want to you know, work on YouTube and Instagram. So there's, there's constantly always new things that you're going to learn and do as an entrepreneur that makes up 90% of your time. Because like I told you, right? Now that I'm in Vegas, I probably need only need two new clients a month. I mean, how much time does it take in a month? Not really, but that's enough to, to live, let me live a lifestyle I enjoy. So I can go out, have fun, and do other things for my business that I enjoy doing, and then create more stuff, create more passive income, whatever I need to do. Yeah, okay, there's so much good stuff there. There's a, there's a couple ways I, I feel like we could go, but what what I'd love to do would be to split the conversation from here as far as like tools and like tactics, how you think about stuff into the entrepreneurship bucket bucket, and then like the personal finance bucket. Um, because I, I think those are the like two paths that you've navigated and conquered as you've stepped out of your W2. And these are the things that I think a lot of people listening or wondering, that's what I keep coming back to is those two points because real estate or not, it could be a consulting business. It could be a personal finance business. It could be a real estate business, but I feel like you have to learn both and they feed each other. You can't have one without the other. If you have an amazing business, but the finances of it are horrible, it's not going to last very long. Exactly. And if you have an amazing financial understanding, but you have no money coming in, what's the point? So I, I look at them very closely and it kind of goes back to a, a thing that I think about where a lot of people talk about the fire movement but they don't talk about generating more money. They talk about saving more money and you can't you know, draw blood from a stone, so to speak, after a certain point. So I think yeah. you need to focus on both. So um, I, I, I guess just while we're on it, I'll, I'll jump down the route of a couple of the entrepreneurial type questions and solopreneur type questions. Um, so when you were first starting your business, where did you put your energy as far as building your base of clients? Um, what were you focusing on as far as marketing, any tools, softwares, um, social media that you really drilled into that you thought was going to be most important for you to get your name out there and, um, start building a base of clients. Yeah. So, so yes, that's a really good point about you saying entrepreneurship and finance. So what is an entrepreneur? Entrepreneur is you're running a business, right? Some sort of business. What does a business mean? 
business means to make money, right? So if you're not making money or profit, I meant profit, not gross income, okay? It's a net profit. My, you, may, you may make $1 million gross income, but your gross expense, let's say it's 999 point whatever, then what? that's not really a business. It's all about your net profit, okay? So if you don't have a profit, then it's a hobby, okay? So I, I truly believe if you're not making money if after a year, I think you should just start thinking about something else. So it's not, people get too carried away with the excitement and entrepreneurship. Like, oh my God, I'm going to be a millionaire, whatever. But, but to tell you the truth, I don't make as much as uh, when I was a W-2. But you know what? I'm so much happier. And then like, what's most important to me, I always remind my clients because I think, I think the problem is that people having a rat race because they feel, oh, I need to keep moving up and up and up and making more and more money. But the problem is that the more they make more money, their lifestyle cost also goes up. Then it's like, then it's like they're, you know, um, they're in jail trying to, oh, pay a really high mortgage, whatever. So, so for me, um, I'm all about, you know, what kind of life will make you happy. So I call that the happy money number. So for me, I know my happy money number. You know, I live a lifestyle I love. I can do whatever I want and then and you know how much money do I need and I have enough more than enough and I did my retirement planning till 90 well that's the time I expect myself to retire uh, well retire <laughs> from life okay. so, so so I did that and I'm, I'm fine so so you need to find out your happy money number so so whatever that is and don't get too caught up in the rat race um just um you know work that yeah, sorry. I think I kind of forget the question. And no, 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 no. That, that's all good. I mean, that, that's like I did a base before then jumping into the like tactics and stuff. But um, what, what I was touching on was like, how did you think about putting your energy or your time when you're first starting to start bringing in clients and start your entrepreneur business? Was it, I'm going to go in really heavy on social media. I'm going to start doing as many podcasts as I can. Is it, I'm going to try to get my uh, my calendar link uh, to do first calls with as many people as possible and build a funnel. Like, how did you think about it? Because I think a lot of people are just wondering, how do I start my business after I've been kind of in someone else's framework the entire time? Yeah. So, so it's actually, um, so it depends on what service business you have. So for me, I'm a financial coach. So I also live in the Bay Area, Silicon Valley. So that area, we're big on using Yelp for almost everything. Okay, so I found my life coach on there. I found many things from there. It's not just for restaurants, okay? But it depends on the area. I heard in this, some places in East Coast, they don't really look at Yelp that much. But Bay Area, we're very, very huge. If you have a business, whatever business, be on Yelp and start having reviews. So, so yeah, most uh, in the beginning, most of my referrals actually came from Yelp. And I didn't even pay for ads, okay? They're very expensive. And then, and then not a lot. A lot of entrepreneurs really don't like Yelp and they're not really very, they don't take care of business owners that well. So I'm not going to get into that, but anyway, there's actually even a documentary called um, Billion Dollar Bully or something. It's all I've about Yelp. It. I don't like Yelp, but I've seen it. Yeah. 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 But you know what? You need it though. Like I, I, I'm, it's just, it's just sad that they, they don't value as business owners. So yeah, a lot of my referrals come from Yelp. And then when I got into LinkedIn, so I quit in May, I didn't really get very active on Yelp till October. So, so, uh, and then after that, but it took time to build your personal brand. So I also do LinkedIn coaching and LinkedIn, um, you know, I have a LinkedIn online course for people interested to get into Yelp. So I teach, um, how I built my business and my branding there. So it takes, it took about four months to build my brand so people can, you know, know, like, and trust me. So you have to show up regularly, you know, it's just like with any relationship, right? You have to show up, you have to, you know, let people know you. 
trust you and like you for them to actually want to do business with you, especially if you're a service business, it's a relationship business, right? Sure. So, so I think we started getting ongoing clients or prospects till January of this year. So it took a couple more months. Okay. So you can just like go on social media, any social media works that way. You can just show me like, Oh yeah, clients gonna come to me right away. No, it doesn't work that way. Okay. It takes time to build your personal brand. You have to be consistent, but you also have to like that social media. You know, like if you hate it, like, Oh, I hate being here. Then it's not going to work. So I do love LinkedIn. I fell in love with it. I just get the platform, I get the algorithm, and then Instagram so what I don't get, I'm still figuring out, but, but LinkedIn makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, so, so yeah, that's kind of, and like, I still get a lot of clients from Yelp, so Yelp, <clears throat> LinkedIn, sometimes Google when they search me, sometimes Facebook, you know, from people who are friends with me, and, and sometimes referral, but Yelp and LinkedIn are my two major referrals. Mm -hmm. Okay, got it. Um, now switching back over to the other side of personal budgeting. So now on that front for people that are thinking about getting started in revamping their personal budget, maybe they want to knock that out first and get comfortable with it before they can start really ramping up their side hustle, which I can understand if someone wants to get a base to know what they're building on. Um, so I'll start with kind of the, uh, the, the T-ball question, I guess, is where do you see most people get personal budgeting or personal finances wrong? The flaw, well, um, they just don't know where their money goes. And they think, um, okay, so the, the biggest expenses for most people is food. They, they always like, oh, so I ask, oh, so how much do you spend on food? Food meaning like anything you consume, drink, alcohol, everything, okay? That goes to your mouth. And then they're like, oh, you have 300, 400. And then by the time they do the actual, you know, it's usually twice that much. And then they're like, wow, I didn't realize I spent that much, especially like in the Bay Area, my Bay Area clients, because people love eating out. Here too in Las Vegas because there's you know it's twenty four seven. Well, not right now with COVID, but most a lot of places still are twenty four seven. So yeah, so people love eating out. So that that costs a lot of money. So usually yeah, they they just don't know where the money goes and they usually underestimate their expenses or like they have monthly subscriptions and they're like oh I don't use this why am I paying for it? Sometimes it's like fifty dollars a month. Sometimes for some people like phone right. Most people don't even use a phone. You can just cancel that and take that off or like whatever like other subscriptions that they're like oh i'm paying for that i didn't know so i oh that's why paying attention to your charges and everything and then like when you budget it forces you to actually track so i'm all about proactively tracking not like reactively tracking like mint mint i feel it's okay but then it's more reactive like oh how much have you charged but i use spreadsheet for my uh budgeting what i teach my client as well i have my online budgeting course is also in the spreadsheet or google sheet if you don't have excel so it's all about proactively tracking like when you go out and spend money you 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 confide in your budget or like you know whenever you spend you have to type that in and you're like oh okay then it actually forced people to spend less because they're looking at how much they're spending it's just like I always compare it to losing weight or being healthy, like tracking calories. Actually, it's much easier than tracking calories. Why? Because you can be very, very 100% accurate. Calories, how accurate is that? It's just, you just Google it, but it's like, uh, okay, maybe it's 200, 300 calories. Oh, how much did I burn? Oh, maybe 1,200 calories. But there's no like real data that you can track that, right? It's all like an estimate, okay? So, so you can just try to be as accurate, but money is a lot easier. It can be 100% accurate. Okay, so that was it's easier than trying to count your calories. So, so <laughs> just look at <it> that way. <laughs> I like that. I've never yeah. put, heard it put that way. That that analogy gets thrown around for a lot of other yeah. things, but like leads and lag measures. But it's the same way. You can track it a lot easier. I I like that. So, 
just as far as the tools go, because I'm sure you get this question a lot, what apps or spreadsheet or how can I manage in the most easy way or whatever. Um, but I think they go hand in hand for a lot of people, their personal budget, and then they want to tie it into maybe their business budget. And mm -hmm. I've heard it a lot of times um, I've gone through my fair share of apps and uh, now I'm considering something like QuickBooks or just other tools that maybe can serve as business tools, but then also maybe have some overlap with my life. Do you think that your business budgeting and your personal budgeting should be separate in the same bucket, the same tool? Can you just give like an overview of, let's say, an ecosystem of tools that you either use yourself or recommend for people specifically? So I think it depends on how, what's easiest for you as a personal choice, okay? Mm -hmm. so, so for some people, I, you know, you want to separate it out, that, that's the better. But for me, like, because I'm a sole proprietorship, it goes to my schedule, says an individual tax return, and I don't plan on converting to an S corporation yet. So it's one entity anyway. So it's like, it's my money. So, so I, I, I'm okay just putting everything in one spreadsheet, but then like, I know what's classified business and what's not, but that's me. That's what is easy for me. But for some people, like, you know, they have S corporation, whatever, then, then they definitely have to separate that out. Because whatever works for you and then how complicated your business. For coaching, I mean, I don't, it's very simple, right? Like, you know, my revenue people, clients paying me or the expense, which is not a lot of overhead. So it's very, very simple. One spreadsheet for my uh, personal and business works for me. But like sometimes um, some clients have like, I think they're trying to do an online store or something, then, then it's better for them to have like other apps like Quicken, uh, QuickBooks and stuff like that. So it really, really depends on personal preference and what kind of business you have. Can we walk through a scenario because I, I think there's like myself, there's some other, let's say small real estate investors or smaller real estate investors that let this get um, bogged them down where they're just not sure how many bank accounts do I need? How many credit cards do I need? Debit cards, that yeah. sort of stuff. So like, uh, even if it's just me or we can just throw out a, a basic example, but like I have, let's say just round numbers, five investment properties. And um, I'm just trying to figure out what is the best way to organize this because every year come tax season, it's hell. And I don't even know how to, what I should be doing. You know, like I kind of just started doing this myself. I didn't really have any guidance and yeah. how do I set this up? So if you were, let's say coaching me or qualifying me to figure out what system would be best, um, yeah. how would you start doing that? Or how would you recommend something for that fit? Maybe I'm a W2 employee also, I have personal budget. And then I have these five properties on top. Well, the first thing I'll ask you is like, how did you set up your investor property? Is it under LLC as corporation? Is it under sole proprietor? How, how did you set it up? Uh, I set them up in my personal name. Um, okay. Yeah, personal name. Okay, so do you have an LLC? Um, I do not have an LLC. Okay, so okay, so your sounds pretty simple. It's just Schedule C. So it's going to be what um, five Schedule E for those five rental properties. So if I were you to make it very simple, I would actually have like one tab in an Excel spreadsheet. You're an Excel person. I'm, a, I'm an Excel person. I love Excel, okay? So let's say you can just do five different tasks for each of the five uh, properties and then all the income and expenses for each property will be, because that way when you do in Schedule C, you can, you, can cons, um, you can compare that to that tab, one schedule each to that one tab and per tab. So then you can be like, oh, and then you can have columns, one month, one column, you generate every March, like what are all the income or expenses. And then when it comes to consolidating for tax, you're just consoling everything, all the income, all the expenses. And I would actually categorize it. You schedule either, it's going to be category there, like you know, marketing expenses and all that, right? Then you can categorize the expenses already on the spreadsheet. So when it comes tax time, 
you're just adding the whole thing. And then like when you have to go to any particular mindset, oh yeah. And then like, you really need to go to more details. Then you're going to have to create another, probably another tab for that one. But then at least like the, the summary is going to be one tab each. And then so you can, uh, you can get into more details into like, you know, all the individual, all the real expenses. So that would, might have been like a supplemental like um, information at the bottom for all the details of the marketing, but the summary will be at the top. At least that's what, I, that's how I would do it. Because your sims is, is just pretty simple schedule C, but what I heard, um, you know, you might want to have some legal advice to regarding the LLC because then if you put under your personal name, because like, um, you know, I'm, I'm not a real estate investor, okay? So this is like, I'm just talking to lawyers and everything. So what, this is what I, I was recommend because I was looking into real estate investing too. I'm not there yet. But I was advised that to have an LLC and then like your investor property will be um, under the LLC name. So pretty much your renter won't know it's Jonathan Farber. So some people, it's a personal preference. They're like, they don't want their renter to know you. Then they don't have to call you. It would just be under the LLC name. Maybe, I don't know, like Farber Corporation or whatever. You know, there's plenty of Farber, right? So they're not going to know who it is. So, but that's, I think, just a personal preference. But you, there's nothing wrong too with Schedule C. But something when you do LLC, then if you want to make an S corporation to separate the entity for protection, then S corporation, like, you know, it's another entity. Basically, it's like a corporation entity. It's outside of you. And you're just paying yourself a salary. Because, like, remember, your taxes, there's a personal individual taxes, which is eventually everything goes to 1040. So that's what you're doing right now. S corporation, C corporation, partnership, that's all separate tax entity from your individual. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yep. And would you set them up, would each property have its own bank account or could it just be in a business account or would you recommend that? So again, that's a personal preference. So so, so if, if you're very good with tracking your spreadsheet, you might be okay with just one bank account. Mm-hmm. If it makes it complicated for you, then maybe five separate bank accounts for business bank accounts will be better. Again, it all depends on you, what makes it. So for me, I'm very good with my spreadsheet. That's why like, I know some people are surprised, like everything is on my personal savings and checking because my spreadsheet is very organized. I know exactly that comes in and out. I can go to my bank and say, oh, I know what that is because I can just compare it to my Excel. So if some right. people are so confusing for them that, it's probably best for them to separate. So again, it depends on what works for the client. So I'm all about just trying to figure out what works for my clients for their, how they think and then their mindset and then what makes the most sense to them, you know, in terms of organization. Because it's not about me, it's really about them. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. Okay, awesome. I feel like we could go on for quite a while on this just because <laughs> yeah. there's, there's a lot of detail to it. And I think there's a lot of also bad advice that goes around, but I think it's, well, not even bad advice. It's it's difficult, I think, for some people to conceptualize when they're presented a lot of options and they'd almost rather just know a recommendation and try that. Because I feel like a lot of times, for me too, if I'm presented with ways of doing it, you like the, the thing that I find most frustrating when I'm asking someone for advice yeah. is for them to say, oh, well, you could do it a million ways. I say, well, that's exactly why I'm not doing anything. Okay. You can okay. do it a million ways. So. Okay. No, no, no. But, but you, you gave, I'd say more tactical advice from the sense of like how you, you recommend setting it up with a spreadsheet and yeah. having columns and having it then align and tracking it monthly instead of, you know, you could do it a bunch of different ways. So I actually found that to be very helpful. And then I guess for the, the, the types of property, like formation, if it's going to be in its own account or not, and that, that then depends on how detail oriented you are or yeah. how yeah. much you think you can track a spreadsheet or not. Some people, 
it's probably the worst thing for them to do going to a spreadsheet. Other people, they probably, you know, might enjoy it. Maybe not. I don't know. I don't, but anyway, you know, different profile types. So anyway, I think that was, that was really good for people listening on that. Absolutely. And then like, and Jonathan, like if I were you, like, um, I would start because like, you know, like, if, if you don't, sometimes it's about exploring your shit, right? What works for you, what you like, right? So the simplest thing to start is just having one business account and see how that works for one month in spreadsheet. If you end up like, oh my God, it's so confusing. Like that, then you can open the four other accounts. But I would start with that one account, see if that works. If not, do the four accounts. Unless you really know yourself, you're like, no, I hate doing this. I'm gonna have to do the five accounts. So it's all it's really all about knowing yourself. And me as a coach, I'm also there to get to know my clients too, what works for them and whatnot. Because sometimes they either know themselves or sometimes they don't know themselves. So I, I have to kind of help them, guide them, figure that out. Yeah. I'm glad you said that and just I know we're we're right about a time here, but I, I didn't wanna um, not ask about it is there's a lot of, I'd say, I, I'd say bad advice in the world of corporate where coaching is almost frowned upon. I've talked about it in a lot of episodes here where people just think your education stops when you graduate college. Um, but I could not uh, disagree with that more. So I guess for you and what you're doing with your clients, what you see on a regular basis with your clients, can you just give a high level on what you think the value of a coach is and um, why you think people need coaching or why it's a good idea? Yeah, I mean, people don't need coaches, okay? So I think it's really up to you. Again, it's a personal preference. Are you the type who know how to DIY, who think Googling and figuring stuff out, you get a lot of satisfaction there and how many hours it is? So you have to look at the time, okay? So I, will, I did a post where the difference between frugal and cheap. Cheap people are people who just like value money over everything else. Like literally one example is like, let's say, um, you know, they'll park 30 minutes away. So one hour round trip just to save maybe $20, right? So you have to see like, is your one hour worth the $20 or will you pay somewhere closer? Maybe it's $20 and then, but you save that time. So, so frugal people will pick this, the, the one where they, they park nearby, pay the $20 because they value their time more. They know, hey, my hour is worth $100 an hour. I'm okay spending this $20, okay? So, so cheap people would do that route. So that's just an example. And then unless you really want to do the walk, then that's a different benefit by itself, okay? So, so um, yeah, so it, it really depends on like, you know, what you really uh, value. So, anyway. Yep. That makes total sense. Okay. And, and I mean, my personal preference is I think most people that are stuck, they need someone like you can yeah. find the information, but I'm sure you see it too. With, I mean, in real estate, it's, it's yeah. so prevalent that people are analyzing yeah. deals for five years and they haven't done anything. And yeah. my answer to them is either quit or pay a coach or a mentor or get around the right people um, because you're just wasting time. So, I, I mean, I see where you're coming from. It really does depend on the person. I'm yeah. maybe a little bit more uh, harsh on it that like, if you're not doing it, you need accountability. And if not, then then just stop. Yeah. So so I'm um so so going back to the why I brought it out the frugal and the cheap. So it really depends on you. So I'm trying to you can be frugal. So frugal can be like, yeah, this you might spend this much money on a coach, but you you are getting like all the investments. So let's say someone in their twenties, right? It's actually the best time for them to get their finances straight because of the time value of money. If people don't know what the time value of money is, like a dollar now, if you invest that, it's gonna be way more than a dollar later. So it's gonna, you know, compound an interest or so dollar and then plus whatever the interest is, and it's gonna keep going up. So it's gonna be exponentially grow, right? So like, you know, you you make dollar twenty cents. Let's say twenty. It doesn't make sense. Twenty percent. Okay, this is an example. So dollar twenty, and then you're gonna have an interest of twenty percent or that. So it's gonna keep growing every single year. So if you start that right and you invest it right, and then have 
you you understand taxes because I teach about taxes, budgeting, which is the foundation of your financial house. Because like you know everything else kind of falls around that. You know you need to have positive cash flow. You're not positive cash flow. How can you pay for your debt? How can you do everything else? How can you save for retirement? How can you yeah. save? How can you invest? Whatever. So everything falls under the budgeting. You have to have a strong budget or like a financial house. Okay. So so then it's like yeah. So so yeah. You you gotta start there and then like having a coach. You know like they they can just help you make sure that you have everything in order. So that way you can grow that well as, as a young age. But unfortunately, some young people they think. I'm too young. I don't want to like save. So I was actually glad I started my Roth IRA. If if you, everyone doesn't know, like Roth IRA is pretty much a post-tax money you put in your retirement. So anyone can can contribute there as long as you have earned income. So I started at age 20, and then like it has, <coughs> it has grown a lot, and I'm really glad I started that. So so what I'm my point is that the younger you are, the better you are at starting, and it, it might. It might feel like, you know, why are you thinking and planning the future this young, but it's actually the best time for you. So, so I do, I mean, <clears throat> I do value coaches. Like, for example, like if I try to figure things out, then I feel like, okay, this is going to take more time. So again, I do the analysis of frugal versus cheap. So if I do this myself, how long does, will it take me? And then like, maybe I might, you know, if you enjoy like, you know, failing and figuring things out and then spending all the time, then. Okay, then maybe you can go that route. But then, like, I do prefer like you. Like, I want to do it right from the very beginning because then I have plenty more other things I'd rather do instead. So I would actually pay someone instead to actually, um, you know, to learn it right the first time. Yeah. Totally. Okay. No, I see where you're coming from. One hundred percent. I just, uh, I think sometimes people need a little bit more uh, push and tough love than they think, and it kind of reminds me of one of my favorite. It's so cheesy, but it's one of my favorite quotes. Uh, one of my favorite books is The One Thing. And uh, a concept they talk about that is it's hard to read the label on the box that you're inside. So sometimes you need help from people to just around you point out something that you can't see or feel because you're inside it. But um, anyway, I want to I transition actually into that to close out the show um, to just talk about what's top of mind for you. What are your projects? Um, how can people learn more about you and your coaching business if they want to take the next step and figure out how to uh, prepare themselves for the financial benefits and maybe starting their own business. Yeah. So you can learn everything about me from my website, www.tay. Tay is my last name, T-E-H, financial coaching. So it's not da. I know people said, is that da financial coaching? I said, no, that's my last name, T-E-H, financial coaching.com. And if you want to chat with me, it's free. Like there's buttons to schedule a complimentary call for, with me um, all, everywhere on my website. So feel free to just, you know, I'm very approachable. Just, just, schedule a time and then talk to me and more than happy to talk to you. And then, um, yeah, you can see all my services. So I do my, my main business financial coaching, but I do help with LinkedIn as well. So, and then if you want to learn how to build your presence on social media, I do have a LinkedIn course and then you get a hundred dollars off for my coaching. If you buy the course together with the coaching there. And then I do also have an online budgeting course. So if you don't know where to start, but I think like you can start with a pen and paper if you want to, but if you want to know my system, it's you know using Excel, Google Sheet, and then you have an online course there and then it's, you know, it's fairly affordable. And I'm also trying to work on a financial literacy program right now. So for people who are not ready to do coaching and want something more affordable. So I'm doing, I'm going to work on that as my next project after I settle down here in Vegas. And then um, that's pretty much it. And I also do tax consulting or tax planning for people who want to learn more about taxes, but only for the individual tax, not for business or corporation. Cause that I mainly only do individuals. 
Yeah. Got it. Okay. What I take from that is if people have questions about money, you cover a lot of the bases so <laughs> they can come to you and at least see if they're a fit or you're a fit for them and have the conversation and then see if they want to take the step, which is awesome because you can cover a lot of bases and kind of like we talked about at the beginning, you could also talk about the business side of it and the entrepreneurial side of it, which I don't think a lot of, I guess what I should have said this from the beginning of the conversation. I think that's something that is unique to you and other financial coaches that a financial advisor can't talk to because they've never been an entrepreneur and they've never actually invested a lot of their own money to do a lot of these things. So it's a little bit more of a, a lens of, I look at it like a sales lens instead of someone that is walking a couple maybe steps at you and lives the life that they're talking about. So okay. I really take a lot of value in that. So for anyone listening that looks is looking to get help on their finances, we will link everything below. Uh, Christine, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on. And personally, thank you for taking the time to do this, especially after uh, the scheduling challenges yesterday. Um, any last word, uh, parting comment or parting thought for the audience? Yeah, yeah. So I, I also want to clarify the main difference between a financial advisor and the financial coach is that I don't manage wealth. So I don't manage your money. The big reason for that is that I'm all about teaching you about my guiding you, what are investments, you know, like what are different options out there, but I would never recommend you anything. So I, I believe in the motto, I will teach you how to fish. So you understand how investments work, what are the investment options out there, and you can make educated decisions from it. And then it's not rocket science as many financial advisors like to make you think and then charge you 1% or more for it. Regardless, if your money goes up and down, they will still charge you 1% or more. So it's not rocket science to learn it. And then, you know, I'm here to guide you and teach you about how investments work. Okay. <laughs> Love that. Couldn't agree with that more. Well, Christine, thank you so much again for coming on. Best of luck in 2020. Uh, love your energy. It's really just cool to hear, especially that you're just moving cities and taking on new projects uh, amid a time where a lot of people are going the other direction. So it's really awesome to see. So best of luck in 2020 and beyond. And thank you again for coming on. Thank you, John. Yeah, appreciate it. Hey, you millennial millionaire, do you want more? Then head to the Millennial Millionaires Through Real Estate Facebook group, where there are tons of step-by-step -step walkthroughs, tools, templates, and free networking to help you achieve financial freedom through real estate. And if you want Jonathan to help you personally reach your goals, then feel free to set up a one-on-one -on -one call in the link below or message him on any social media platform and apply to, well, work with Jonathan.